Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Cleveland Schwill. And I think we're about to look up in the sky. And is it a bird? It's a plane. It is Superman. We got Superman not with us. We do have a Superman with us, but it's not the Superman. But we are going to be talking about 85 long years of Superman. But I'm sitting here thinking, what? does Superman have to do with Cleveland? Well, guess what? We're going to answer that question. He has a lot to do with Cleveland. And we have a guest with us who is going to tell us all about the ties of Superman to Cleveland and what's going on at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and what's been going on for the last two months. It's an assistant professor at Ursuline College, Valentino Zulo. Valentino, how are you? Thanks for coming on Cleveland Schwill. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm actually very excited about this topic, and I already know you're excited about this topic (laughs) because you've dedicated quite a bit of time to it. So we're going to find out uh, the answer to our question, what what, uh, Superman has to do with Cleveland. But before we get into that, I'm going to tell tell the listeners, I always have a drink, so I'm going to have to tell them what I'm drinking and why. This one isn't too uh, out of the ordinary for me. It is a seasonal beer. It's from Fathead's Brewery. Hmm. It's Spooky Tooth, which is a pumpkin beer. My co-host, who's not with us tonight, Dave, hates pumpkin beer. He hates pumpkin everything, and he tells me that every time. I happen to love it. We're drinking it, so I'm going to have a Spooky Tooth while we talk. Uh, how about you? Did you bring anything to drink? I did. So I, I, uh, I'm, I'm currently house sitting. So I, I, I quickly made up a. I raided my friend's uh, alcohol, and I quickly made up a Negroni. I looked up when I right before I got on here. I thought, okay, what can I make with what's here? And I quickly made a Negroni. So that's what I'll be having while I'm here today. So what is a Negroni? What what's in it? So it is, um, it's gin. Verm- um, sweet vermouth and Campari usually and then uh, Negroni Spagliato's are really good too and those are when you when you change out the gin for um, Prosecco and I like those too a lot but I just saw I was like okay what's here on the shelf what can I make really quick and the bourbon was still sealed so I couldn't grab that which was my no first you can't do that you can't bust the seal on it you can't. <laughs> I can't bust the seal on it so I was like all right that's my first choice I was just gonna do bourbon on the rocks and then I saw that it was still sealed I was like all right next choice I see the gin I see vermouth I see some Campari I'm gonna make a quick Negroni so that's where yeah. I ended. that's cool you know it, and you're your house sitting, and at least you don't have to do what I used to do back in the day, which is put some water in the alcohol to pretend like it goes back up to the level when, when my parents left. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, no. Um, but so 
let, let's kind of get into uh, the whole Superman thing. And, and I think this is really interesting. I actually, before we talk about the ties to Cleveland, just give me a little bit about a little bit of your background. Like, were you always into Superman? Was graphic novels something you read when you were a kid? Like, what what even got you interested in this topic? Yeah, so it's a so the short version of the story is because I can tell it forever, but the short version of the story is um I was a I was um so one, my parents are immigrants, and so English wasn't my first language. Italian was actually my first language. And so um I think I was always attracted to um picture books, stories with any kind of stories with pictures because it was a bit easier for me. I wouldn't mm-hmm. really start I wouldn't speak English more regularly until probably like you know fit five or five or six like uh, my early years were all italian and i don't obviously have a very good memory of it but that's what i'm told at least and so i think i was always attracted to that and my the story goes specifically that i remember i was at a revco which i don't i most of us well i think we still remember it if we're of a certain age i remember revco yeah. but i forgot yeah. about revco yeah 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 um i was at a revco and i had just gone to sega genesis at the time and I was at a Revco and they had a Sonic the Hedgehog comic. And so I grabbed it and sort of that was the beginning of it for me. Um, my mom had read comics growing up. And so she immediately took me to a comic store because, you know, I'm reading and I probably at some level needed it. Um, I don't know that I learned English necessarily from it, but it certainly helped my English, like, you know, reading comics. Yeah, there's something with like putting a colorful picture to some words yeah. and just it's easier to relate to. So I yeah. totally get it. Yeah, it's yeah. probably yeah. really good for a way for kids to learn a different language. Yeah. yeah. And so I, so for me, I've got this comic. I played the Sonic game. She took me to a comic store. I bought some more comics. And then I just sort of kept going. I kept playing for god 30 years now i've bought comics um you know it's funny when you think back and you're like you know at one time it was like oh for 10 years i've read comics for 50 now i'm like all right 30 years now i'm gonna be 35 and so you know um i've always read comics um superman was always a character i liked from say like the justice league cartoons or the superman animated series that was on tv um he was always i was always a fan of superman um and I think for me, I became more of a fan of Superman when I re- realized the connection to Cleveland somewhere in my teens. I don't remember exactly when, but, you know, I started to sort of learn that about that connection. But I had always loved superheroes. Um, but it was it was the mixture of always loving superheroes, really being interested in comics in general, which I can talk about comics forever, like as a form, not just as superheroes, but just like I love uh, I'll give you a. I'll give you a little in, insight into what our next project will be, which is uh, I want to do something on comics and jazz, which uh, we can talk about that later. Um, there's a long history of the two intersecting. Um, so I'm That's interesting. really because I'm I love jazz. So to yeah, hear yeah. the comics and jazz intersect there, I think that's yeah. kind of cool. They're two American forms that grew up together, but that's a that's another that's a I know <laughs> that's yeah, like yeah. A whole just, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, but my point being simply that like I'm I'm interested in the form of comics and the fact that like I'm interested in comics, I'm invested in Cleveland, Superman's from Cleveland. That always meant something to me, sort of after I figured that out. I've always liked Superman, but I think it just sort of elevated for me. Like love comics, love superheroes, love Cleveland. Oh my gosh, they all connect in this one character. That's great. Is is Superman, and I know we might get into this later, and we're going to keep talking about your story, but is Superman actually the first superhero that was ever written? 
Yeah. So, or is that debated? Um, I it might be debated. I don't know. Oh, so I think it's pretty. Um, I think it's pretty established, and I'll tell you why. So people will argue that elements of the superhero genre appear before Superman. But Peter Coogan, who um, is a superhero scholar, who's a great guy, he was my he was my dissertation advisor's student in 1984, and then oh, I was student, and I was I was her student in 2009. So okay, then, is this a coincidence? Probably not. We're getting you know this. Oh is my like gosh, fate. I mean, <laughs> fate, fate. <laughs> but, yeah, he says, and I and I agree with him. He says that, um, you know that Superman is the birth of a genre because after Superman, you get the replication. And once you have more than one, then you have the birth of a genre. So like Superman is is sort of um, replicated in Batman and then soon after, and I'm not going to get the correct order, but it's like Green Lantern, Flash, a bunch of characters, right? Like I, I don't remember which one was after, after Batman, I can't tell you who was exactly next, but yeah. the fact is that the replication starts and that's when you know that something new has been created, that you know, that you start to replicate it and then that's the birth of a genre. So even if we say, yeah, yeah, there's elements of Superman in, you know, this, I don't know, 14th century, you know, whatever, um, like a, like people like to say, and I, and I totally agree that there's elements of what makes superheroes interesting in like, I don't know, medieval tales of saints that are super powered, right? But they're not superheroes. Yeah. You know, I think there's elements of super of what would become the superhero throughout history. I mean, gosh, Achilles is sort of there's elements of of the superhero yep. in Achilles and, and Odysseus. But it's that moment when you create something new and it starts to get replicated that we know that a new genre has been born. And so I sort of think that uh, for me, it's not up for debate. Superman is the first superhero. They pull together, meaning Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster pull together different elements of, of sort of their creation the mission, the power, and the identity um, into one figure. And, um, you know, he has a pro-social mission. He has um, he has a, he has a specific power set and he has a, a secret identity. And those sort of elements create this sort of new figure. All elements that are seen throughout history um, with other characters. Robin Hood had like a sort of a pro-social mission. Um, you know, we had characters with with superhuman strength like Frankenstein, but all of a sudden all three of them sort of all these three elements sort of come together, um, mission power and identity, create a new genre. And so now, now it, correct me if I'm wrong, when I was doing a some research and, and I'm by no means an expert, I actually just tried to research the best I could before I had yeah. you on. Like I yeah, knew yeah, all yeah. of that. Uh, but one of the things I came across was uh, it might have been Siegel. His father was murdered and yeah. and like shot or yeah. something or during a robbery. And I don't know if that was in Cleveland, yes. but it kind of birthed the idea of like this, this person who, you know, bullets aren't going to matter. And yeah. it's all about truth, justice, the American way and, you know, uh, saving people and, and superhuman strength. And I think later on, I, and I'm not sure, but. I thought later on the stuff was born like came from Krypton and, yeah. and and you know the 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 adopted parents or the parents adopted him here uh, and stuff like that. But what do you know about what led up to the idea about Superman to begin with? If that was in Cleveland, do you know anything about that story? Yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting. But yes, I mean, like as you, I'll say just one thing about what you were saying. Like a lot of the elements that we know, like Krypton, 
even like this the great sayings like look up in the sky it's a bird's playing superman all of that sort of comes later the early comic what's so interesting is it sort of just is about here's this guy he well we don't, he's this alien right he's this guy but he's this guy though he comes from like a he comes from another planet he lands here and he becomes a champion of the oppressed and he is this um superhuman person and and all that other stuff about krypton and everything that all comes later but yeah i mean i think for siegel and for schuster um it's so linked to cleveland it's linked to that moment it's you know it's depression era and they're taking years to create this character like they try many variations of this character that don't work um and this is and honestly i would direct everybody to brad rica's book um super boys um this the secret history of jerry siegel and joe schuster it's a great book he's a clevelander and he really goes into the details of this but yeah siegel's father was murdered um but they're inspired by that i think sort of the way in which like can there be a figure that you know bullets don't do anything to him or if they they can hurt him but maybe if they can hurt him they can't but i mean if they can you know maybe um you know they can um he can heal quickly but he's he's super powerful and i think it is a response but it's also a um, like a hopeful response to the depression here we have you know these kids that are just under like such duress and they are creating characters and and they're working for the glenville torch you know they're going to glenville high school they're working for glenville torch and sort of all of those elements come from their history here the um the journalistic aspect of superman's history sort of the way in which they want a character that's going to fight for them and you know um also on the sort of in the background is of course the rise of nazism right i mean that's also part of that's also part of it um there will also sort of be they're hearing stories you know they're both all their parents are immigrants um and they're hearing stories of what's going on in east in in europe and i think all of that sort of comes together to create the character of of superman and and um that's sort of my interpretation if you want like the, the historical de- like step by step uh brad brad rica's book will give you all of that but i think like you know depression era rise of nazism your father's dead and they're working in this high school that's in a like historically jewish neighborhood um they're working on it in a newspaper there like all that comes together in superman oh yeah so that's that's really cool um uh, mm-hmm. now when they first printed like when Superman first went to print, who bought it? Like, what did it do? Because I know that it had to go to print before it actually became like Action Comics number one, the famous uh, car above his head that's worth one billion dollars, probably yeah. you know, in pristine condition. But was it in newspapers or how did it get printed? Like, who was reading it and where? So, um, so Siegel and Schuster were working um, for the company that would become DC Comics, and they were sort of making other comics. And they they propose again. So they try. So I'll back up for a second. They they try to create a character that is that sort of resembles Superman, but doesn't in a series called Science Fiction um, that they publish around 1933. Um, they call him. They they don't. Um, the story is called like the Reign of the Superman or something like that. And sort of, you see the 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 beginnings of sort of the the character that they're going to create. But by 1938, they're working for the company that would become DC Comics, and they're just they're writing stories, writing and drawing stories together. And they get and um, Major Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson says like, "Hey, I want to you know 
I want you to do a, a longer story for this book we're launching called Action Comics. And that's when they first create Superman. A lot of characters would start off in comic strips, but Superman actually did not start off in a comic strip. They just sort of, they they had a, a they, they had been creating characters, they had been telling stories. And so they were given a short, you know, um, slot, a couple, like eight or so pages in the, um, it could be longer, I'm blanking right now how many pages the first issue is, but I believe it's like eight or so. Um, and so it could be even 12, but um, they're given the slot, they they do it, and Superman is on the cover, but he, they don't, they're not sure, meaning the National Allied Publications that would become DC, isn't terribly sure that it's going to work. Um, in fact, Superman appears on issue one, and then I'm not, I, I mean, I, I'd have to look back, but I mean, I don't think he appears again to like issue 10 or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, on the cover, because it's an anthology series, so they're not publishing him in every single issue. Um, but his first appearance is in a com- like the first official Superman um, is in, is in is in a comic. Following that, they publish super they publish a series called Superman, and then following that, they do start a um, a newspaper comic strip that would that would run concurrently with the comic book for several years up until mid nineteen forties. So there, then it becomes a comic strip and a comic book, but it starts in the comic book. Okay, and so when he when when he finally gets over to the comic book, that's probably when your villains start to show up for the first time. Your the Clark Kent thing, the newspaper, the Krypton, like the elements that we all know today. It's interesting, yeah. Show. So the first the first actual villain doesn't even show up until issue thirteen. So the first really, issue, yeah, so who's the, he fighting? He's just regular criminals, or he's fighting uh corrupt coal barons, senators. Um, he takes oh, he's yeah. taking on the establishment, he's oh, taking on the establishment. Yeah, there's a brilliant issue. Issue 10 is one of my favorites, for example, where he finds his way into a prison to document the abuse of prisoners in that issue. Like he says that the, the person, and he goes, he takes on the governor in some regard. I'd have to reread the issue exactly. This is it, like a hundred years before it's time type Oh stuff. gosh, yeah, no. He's doing like, really interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. He tears up a whole car company because the what, this car company, I think it's issue 12 or something. I mean, you know, um, I, I, you know, we're having a drink. You will have to. Somebody else will have to fact check all this. I'm getting the ideas of right. No, no, no. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to be perfect on what yeah, issues yeah. and all that yeah, stuff. But yeah. like, just the ideas behind this, the stories yeah. are just great. That's great. I didn't yeah. know that. There's a great one. Like I was saying, so like I think it's issue twelve. Like he he takes on this corrupt car company. So there's this. The story is about um, Superman finds out this company is creating cars that are that are malfunctioning in some way i can't remember exactly how but they're malfunctioning in some way and killing people and he goes to the car owner and to the owner of the company and says like you need to fix these cars otherwise i'm just going to tear down the whole place well the guy says no so he just tears it down he says if you're not going to create cars that are not going to that are going to be that that, if you're not going to create safe cars well then you don't get to create cars like you don't get to build cars he just tears the whole thing down he's judge jury and executioner he's superman he's coming in Oh yeah, corruption is there. He's taking care of the problem. Issue thirteen is the first time we get the ultra humanite, who is the first sort of um, villain that we like the classic, like we what we know of as a super villain. Would that was that Lex Luthor? 
at that no, time. No, just some random guy. Some random. Oh, really? Guy. Yeah, okay. yeah. Lex Luthor doesn't come till later. Yeah, just this random character. Um, gosh, I don't even know. I don't. I'm sure, like a somebody who's a super comics fan will be like, "Oh yeah, he reappeared in 1947." Or but I don't. Yeah. yeah. But he's not like he's not a regular villain. He's sort of just this random villain that I'm sure has appeared again at some point in the history, but not memorable at all. Not Lex, not dark side, you know, not any of these ones that are memorable, just this sort of weird one. But that was the beginning of sort of that. The superhero is going to have a villain that matches their strength. Um, and like the, what we know today. Yeah. Which is always like, very interesting stuff because you know you're not expecting him to run into an equal and uh as far as like stature so that's it's cool to hear about that um so when they actually started working on these books uh did they have to move out of cleveland to do all this or was any of that was any of the writing taking place did they stay living in cleveland at all or or did they end up moving um, so they end up moving to New York eventually. I, I can't remember the year, but they go from Cleveland to University Heights to New York, if I have the timeline right, um, which is really interesting that they they do try to stay here. But um, there are letters that even like like Cleveland Public Library has some of these letters between Siegel and Schuster. I think it's between Siegel and, and their editors. And the editors are like, come on, get out of Cleveland. You need to come to New York. For, forget this Cleveland thing. Um, you need to be you need to be in New York already. I mean, that New York was the place to be for publishing. And so they wanted them there. But they stayed for several years. I mean, even by, you know, early 1940s, they're moving to University Heights from Glenville. And then eventually they will go they will go to New York because um Laura, Laura Siegel reminded us recently, she was like, you know, I have lots of stories of Cleveland from my parents, but I actually wasn't born in Cleveland. I was born in New York, like after they had, after they had left Cleveland. So she has plenty of stories of Cleveland, but, um, and it's, she thinks very fondly of it. Um, but she wasn't actually born in Cleveland by then they were, they were off in New York city. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I figured it had to have been like that at some point. I mean, that's just where the industry was at. We were building everything here. This was a steel town. This was, yeah. uh, you know, this is, this was industry. That, there was a lot of car manufacturing going on around here at that time. But you also, that was the Great Depression. So there were, also wasn't that much work going on. But No, uh, yeah. And there was no Zoom. I mean, now today you can live anywhere and be part of the publishing industry. But if you really want to be part of the publishing industry in 1940s, you had to go to New York. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was and that was what her, their editors kept saying to them, like, you know, you want to be part of this of this world, like you got to come here. And and that lasted for, you know, decades, as we know. I mean, like Marvel, like everybody that worked at Marvel would, you know, they in the 70s and 80s, they all were in the bullpen. They were all in New York. They were all are, you know, um, but now now the writers, gosh, they live all over the world. Um, but, you know, back then, without Zoom and without email, you really had to be there. Mm hmm. Now, what do they consider? You, you hear these different terms sometimes, and I'm not sure what years it covers. When somebody says it's the golden age of comics, yeah, is that include that Superman, or was that even at was Golden Age started after Superman was started? So I love I love this discussion. Of, uh, like uh, up to a point, you can really delineate, and then after a while, it's like where you know what's the what's the copper age, right? But so I think with so the golden age for most people is 1938 
with the beginning of Superman and ends with night in 19. So they actually considered the Superman comic, the beginning of golden age comics. Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. <clears throat> most people, most historic comics historians would say 1938. And the reason is, and this is sort of complicated because people debate it because it's sort of like, if you, if you frame the golden age around superheroes, then like everything is sort of framed around superheroes. But the reality is that comics were not, exceptionally popular they were popular but they didn't they never reached that height of popularity until until superman and now now superheroes will wane in their popularity and other genres will 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 become even more popular like romance after the second world war horror comics in the early 1950s but the early gold the golden age starts in 1938 with superman and ends in 1954 with the um most people will say ends in 54 with the Senate subcommittee hearings on juvenile delinquency. The short, this is a short um, story I'll tell you, but it's a very interesting one for me. Um, there's a 1950, by 1954, this psychiatrist, Frederick Wortham, who had fought for many years to um, sort of create some type of, um, I mean, for, I mean, really sort of censorship of comics, um, get so far as a Senate subcommittee hearing on juvenile delinquency with Senator and Senator Kefauver is the um, is the head of the of the committee of the subcommittee. And um, he gets so far as to sort of his attempts to ban comics or at least censor comics for children under 15 years old. Um, and so he attempts to do that doesn't succeed. But it what what happens is to get ahead of the possible censorship the comics companies create what they call a comics code authority. And it's a quote voluntary board uh, that you submit your comics to so that they're approved for certain regulations. And it's voluntary in the sense that if you don't submit, like no one's going to sell your stuff, but they tried to get ahead of it. Wortham doesn't win, but it completely levels the comics industry, which was only like just, which was reaching new heights. Um, and that's sort of the end of the golden age. I will say just a caveat, if anyone listens and knows this sort of the history that yes, Wortham was really was really significant in this moment, but we can't deny the rise of television either. Like comics inevitably would have their 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 reign as a popular medium would have sort of started to falter just because of the rise of television by fifty four. That being said, Wortham Wortham's attacks absolutely shifted the sort of the uh, the landscape of comics, and that's the end of the golden age. Now, we do talk about television, and that makes sense. Um, but I also wonder if it helped, helped propel comic sales later on with the sense of you had a Superman show in the 50s. I can't remember who played Superman, though. I wish I did. Um, George, uh, George Reeves. George Reeves? Yeah. Was Christopher Reeves George Reeves' son? No, they... Um, uh, it was I, just a coincidence, because I was about I, to freak out. I no, like, no, no. So George, I know it's funny, right? So George Reeves is actually with an S, and Christopher Reeve has no S, and it's and I make him. I always call him Christopher Reeves by accident. Um, that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Okay. okay. I mean, I mean, I mean, how how likely is it this guy named George Reeves and then Christopher Reeve are like you know? But no, there's no relation between the two of them. But yeah, I mean, TV propel promoted the character, but not so much the comic, and I think we're seeing that today too. That while the Marvel movies are exceptionally popular, um, the comics sales haven't skyrocketed. They've they've certainly um, done well. I think 
I think there's no question that the movies at least fund comics in the sense that the comics companies use that as sort of the sandbox for their movies. And I think they sell fine a lot of times, but they're not like, if you compare like the millions of people going to go see a Marvel movie, just don't, don't compare to the hundreds of thousands reading comic books. Yeah. Um, And I think that was the case back then too, that what TV does and what radio did for Superman two before that was made him a household name um, and propelled the character in sort of that sort of iconic status. But I don't think it ever translated back to comics. And that's the case today. Kids love comics. Um, Certain things like manga sell really well. Young adult comics sell really well. But superheroes never, never again reached the height of popularity that they did mid-1940s. Oh, yeah. Um, And sales. And and how Um, it was a novel idea in the 1940s, too. That makes perfect sense. I mean, people flock to these, like, these novel ideas that just kind of, it's almost like, it's like wildfire. It just yeah. spreads and everybody gets excited about it because it's so new and different and, yeah. and interesting. So I mean, that I does read, make sense. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, I mean, I read, I read too many comics perhaps. So it's nothing against comics. I think it's just a reality that like, that the films just don't translate exactly one-to-one. I think probably kids that watch the movies, a handful of them get into comics, which is great. And I would love to see more, but I think like, it's just being realistic. There isn't sort of like a, it's not like everybody that goes to see, I don't know, Black Panther goes pick up a Black Panther comic. I mm-hmm. would love that. You know, as someone that loves comics, like it'd be great if that's what were happening, but I don't think it's sort of like a one-to-one, like, you know, no, you go a hundred people go to see Black Panther, probably five of them go to the library and pick up a comic that, I mean, that's pure, that's pure fantasy in my mind, but I think just based on people I talk to, um, you know, and there I, are certain people that are always going to, you know, be more familiar with movies, and that's yeah. really all they care about. And they're not going to, they're not reading anything, you know. But right. it, it, it also on the other end of that spectrum, when you talk about people who read comics, I actually worked at a comic store a long time ago in the nineties. Oh, uh, and when we had people order issues and they would come in, what would end up happening is some people followed certain artists. That's mm-hmm. all they cared about. If that artist dropped yeah. that that particular mm-hmm. series or that book, they stopped ordering it. They didn't yeah. even want it. They really just liked the artwork from that artist. Other people, it was writers. If a writer stopped writing on a particular comic, they were picked up somewhere else. They stopped their subscription to that yeah. particular comic. Um, and for other people, it was characters or what was going on and, and things like that. But, you know, comic readers were you know, very picky about what they were ordering too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I fall somewhere in in there too. Like, I mean, I follow certain writers I follow certain characters. Like, like I read, I read X-Men no matter what, like X-Men. I love it. I've always loved X-Men and I read it, but then there's certain writers I follow. Like if they jump on to like, um, Philip Kennedy Johnson, who came back in September, he writes action comics he started writing Incredible Hulk and I picked up Incredible Hulk for the first time in a while because I really like his writing. And so I agree with you. I mean, I think, and sometimes it's an artist. I was going to ask you though, what, what shop did you work at? Oh, well, this one was, this was a long time ago. Um, and it was originally a place that rented anime VHS tapes and it was in Lakewood and it was called Atomic Eye. And okay. you couldn't really rent 
VHS tapes anywhere else at this time. It was 97, 98 when I was working there up till 99. Uh, I worked there for a few years. We would also on consignment take in like toys and things like that from people and, and have a bunch of different action figures and things like that up. But our main focus was Japanese animation, comic books, and like consignment toys. And wow. It was, you know, I was going to these comic conventions and helping them sell things. I didn't learn. I didn't know as much as like other people. You know, I was a young kid at that time. I was only like, at that time, I was pr probably just turning 18, 19, okay. going to do these conventions and things like that. So for me, uh, I, I was definitely in a learning stage, but I was, it was almost like I was learning about a different culture because I knew nothing about Japanese animation before that started watching that. And I know it's extremely popular now and everybody's like, how do you not know what Japanese people really weren't watching it back then? Like oh, it wasn't it, as yeah. popular and there weren't like avenues to get it. So he was, our rental business was really good, but that was the place I worked at. And that's what we, that's how I learned about comics and different, uh, you know, and when nobody was in there, guess what I was doing? I was reading a comic book yeah, most yeah, of the time. Yeah, yeah. And if yeah. anybody asks, I'm like, hey, I'm doing my research, man. If people want to know how these things are, you know, yeah. I got to tell them how this issue is. But that's what, I, that's what I would do. So, yeah, that's cool. That's great. Yeah. At that time, I, I think the big thing was the JLA comics. When it came to Superman, it was JLA had a series. And they had him. I don't he was like split into two and there was a red and blue Superman. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah, probably that's all exactly part of right a now. different story arc because I'm sure we'll get into some of that stuff, but that, that was what was going on at that it's time. So confusing, even for me. And I remember reading some of that stuff. Like I, it was after the death of Superman and yeah, he was split into two. Gosh, I don't even like, I mean, I like some of this stuff gets so confusing and I don't even really understand why but people love people love to make fun of that era because it was absurd it was the height of the 90s like you know everything they were they would throw everything at these characters oh yeah for sales purposes yeah mm -hmm. yep and there was a whole bunch of new comic book uh i don't know if i would call them brands or what but Image was picking up at that time. There's a company called Image, and they were getting very big, and they had a lot of different. And I don't know if Image was like what Spawn was on, but yeah, like yeah. you know, so like they had all these different graphic novels they were putting out, and there was just more competition. And DC was like, you know, trying to look for new heroes and do new things, and same with Marvel. And you had like. Um, I, I used to call them intellectual type comics. You'd have all these mini series that would come out and they would like Preacher and um, was coming out around that time. There's another thing called Sandman that was becoming big at that time. Yeah, yeah. And those things were like, uh, that's what adults were reading. There were no kids coming in to read that stuff. I mean, that's what, and that was before Walking Dead. I never, you know, that stuff came after. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Walking Dead is definitely. I mean, that's an image series. Yeah, Walking Dead is definitely like is a is heir to the Sandman era. Yeah, I mean, Sandman obviously, yeah, huge. I mean, Sandman, Neil Gaiman. I mean, that's still um, Vertigo, which DC owns, and I think now they've sort of they've done away with Vertigo. It's just DC now. They um 
they just keep reproducing volumes of Sandman and Sandman keeps selling. Neil Gaiman's work is, is hot. It's hugely popular to this day. Sandman is still an incredibly popular series, but yeah, that's the Sandman era. It's, you know, post Watchmen, all that stuff that, mm -hmm. yeah. And they, it was all the sort of like adult comics. Um, Frank Miller comes on, does Dark Knight Returns, Batman year one. I mean, I'm going back to the eighties now, but yeah, I think that, 1986 was such a significant year that's you know um like ba dark knight returns batman year one and then that would set the stage for the 90s yeah like you get spawn you get all these characters um and the rise of image and image changed everything absolutely um it's such an interesting history but it also meant that the comics companies misunderstood that you know as they always as they do i mean as corporations misunderstand things they think that oh um like Watchmen does so well and Dark Knight Returns does so well. And so what they um, and partly because of what's called the underground comics era, that's like where Mouse comes from and other works like that. I think a lot of the comics companies saw, oh, sex and death sell really well. Let's just do that over and over again. And they don't get it that things like Mouse or Dark Knight Returns or Watchmen do really well because they're really amazing. And yes, they're they're highly they're oftentimes depict violence and oftentimes depict sex but the comics companies are like let's just make the the let's just get bigger boobs on these characters and let's kill off the rest of them and we're gonna sell comics it didn't work marvel oh no it's not gonna work it, it feels yeah. empty yeah like, it does yeah it, people pick up on that real quick when something feels empty like everybody knows right away i mean we almost have this like ingrained sense in us we're like oh that's fake that's fake that's there's nothing, there's no substance to this. Yeah. You can sense it in people. You can sense it in a product. You can sense it in a, a, a work of art. You're like, mm -hmm. oh, they just made this for money. Yeah. And once once somebody views it that way, I mean, it's really hard to convince them otherwise. I yeah. mean, even if somebody else steps on and starts writing for it, yeah. somebody steps, changes the story, it you might have, it, it's really hard to come back from that. So, yeah, if all you're going to do is slap on some, larger boobs and have more sex scenes and say, you know, colorful things and whatever, you know, it's just going to, people are going to pick up on it right away. There's no substance. Yeah. I, yeah. I hear exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but kind of going back to the whole Superman thing, I do have one question for you because we kind of run through the timeline, but yeah. in, when it comes to like envisioning, not even comic wise, but in the movies, who would you say is your Superman? When you think of like, hey, you know, when I watch Superman, like I'm sure younger people today, most of it's Hen uh, Henry Cavill, who did yeah. uh, the most recent. And I actually think he did a great job. But before that, I'm thinking of who played Superman before, after, before him. Was there somebody else? There was. So it's the guy that, so when I, so it's funny, it's sort of like my. It's not Christopher Reeve, is it? No, it's most people forget. Um, so because of I was because I was fifteen or so when this movie came out, the person I think of first, which is sort of funny, and I think people are just like mortified by this, but it's Brandon Routh. Um, oh, I don't. I wouldn't even known it. I wouldn't yeah, even. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. What so movie was it? I, what movie was it? Superman Returns, like two thousand. Oh! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Okay, yeah, so that's what you think of, huh? It was. He was the Superman when I was a teenager because because Christopher Reeve is a little bit too is a little bit before my time and I watched those ones as a kid. 
I did. I mean, I remember getting them from the library on VHS, but I was so young. And so the one that I remember most, I'm not saying it's a good movie, but I'm but I, the one I remember because I was of age to remember I was about 15 or 16 um, was Brandon Routh. And that's the one I remember. And he is a good Superman. Um, he didn't have a great script, but I think he played Superman well. I mean, I'm sure people, I'm sure if, if any Superman fans that hear this are going to be like, this guy has no business doing a Superman <laughs> event, but I, did, I didn't hate it. I mean, I haven't, mind you, I have not rewatched Why that. Why do I have a feeling you're going to be emailing me later tonight and be like, hey, Brian, you got to edit that whole part out. Got, we're not even talking about <laughs> no, it. We're getting ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get yeah. it out of that. Get it out of the pot. Get it out. <laughs> yeah, no. <I'm> not, <laughs> yeah, no. I um I haven't rewatched so to be fair I have not rewatched the movie in probably nearly twenty years but I think in my memory it's really really ingrained that I remember him as Superman now I think Henry Cavill's a better Superman and I think that um Christopher Reeve is a better Superman but like you know you if it gets you at the right time you, that's the one you're gonna remember and for me it's Brandon Routh yeah yeah no and these are the live action ones to be honest with you um. I don't read many comics anymore, but I still from time to time will watch like these little animated movies. That, they're not even little. They're actually really good to be mm -hmm. honest with you. Yeah, like yeah. They put together these animated yeah. movies about some major Superman plot points. Also, they do it with Batman a lot. Yeah. I'll yeah. watch those. Uh, they had the one where, you know, Superman was killed by doomsday. They have, yeah. that's a big one. Yeah. Um, DC. So, Marvel has really, um, we'll see what they're doing now because they're sort of floundering. But I mean, Marvel for years really understood the the film industry and DC was having trouble with it. But DC has always, always, always gotten the animated industry very well. Like I would say DC's best stories are in the animated series or the DVD. Oh, yeah. Really good stuff. Quality, yeah. well yeah. thought out. Yeah. They're written very well. And the voice acting is, is on great. point. Yeah, yeah, I agree. No, there's some really good ones. I mean, yeah, they did the Doomsday one. Um, they did um, Grant Morrison's All Star Superman. There's a lot of really good ones, straight to DVD animated um, stories, and um, usually you can find them on H what was HBO Max. You can, but now it's Max. But usually you can find them there too. They'll usually put them up after a while. Okay. Yeah, uh, I I uh, I have HBO Max, and I see them come up every now and then, and I'll watch them. They have all different DC. I mean, yeah. you can get you can get uh, Aquaman stuff. You can get uh, Wonder Woman stuff. They've got they've got everybody. Superman. It's pretty neat. Um, you know, oh, what was I going to ask you? I was going to ask you. Something. Oh yeah. So, what do you know though about on this particular timeline? Because I think it's important, and we did briefly discuss it. Uh, why did they decide to kill Superman off? Was it literally just a money thing or, or what was, do you, have, do you know anything about why they had decided to do that with this doomsday character? Or? You know, it's a good question. And I don't, I'll be honest. I don't, I, I'm sure there's a, there's a, there's a straightforward answer that I just don't remember. Um, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I'm read it at some point, but I would say my interpretation of it is money. I mean, I would say yeah. that, like, I'm sure they had an answer, like, oh, they were doing it for this reason. But I mean, it's in it's in the mid '90s, and um, they, you know, it was a way to sell comics. Um, you know, it was 
you could kill him, you could kill Superman, and then they'd made a bunch of money on the death of Superman, and then they would then they brought him back, and they made a bunch of money on the rebirth. Oh, yeah. So, um, I'm sure there's a straight. I'm sure there's a there's a company line, but I would say it's money. Like it was, they saw the. That's when like comics were real, like the speculator market. Speculator market meaning that these people would speculate. It's sort of gambling, right? They'd sort of gamble and say like this issue is going to be worth a lot. So, you know, we need to buy up 10 copies of it. The speculator market was so great at the time that they were buying up issues. And so it was like that with everything. I mean, that's, it was comics. It was baseball cards. Everything started flying, like variant covers. And they probably still do stuff like that all the time, but they do. But like the speculator market has died down, especially from that, because a lot of people got burned, but they were like, People were buying up copies of these books, thinking like this is gonna, this is the death of Superman, and so the comics companies sort of got it, and they didn't. I don't think they thought long term that it, they thought long term this was gonna last. I, I don't think they thought long term it was gonna stop. So they start doing these things like, as you say, variant covers and foil covers and all this nonsense, and people buy up 10, 15 copies. And, you know, they're worth nothing. They're hardly worth the paper they're printed on anymore. I mean, I'm, pro- I'm sure there's a warehouse out there of, of you know, the rebirth of Superman issues. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, now, about 30 years later, they are worth something. Like, there's certain issues, like, um, you know, like a lot of the spawn, post-pandemic, especially, like, a lot of these comics have started to go up in value, but it took 30 years. These, these speculators were hoping it would happen in, you know, overnight. And so... Um, but yeah, I, I would say money. I think it was a good, it was a, it was a stick, you know, it was a thing like, oh, hey, let's, let's do this and see how many people buy it. Um, You know, it, it makes sense. Um, yeah. People, people bought it. They did. They just stopped buying it after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, it was a gimmick and then, you know, yeah. fool me once, you know, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me type of thing. You know, it's like, exactly. Okay, yeah, you fooled me. I went out, rushed out, bought 15 copies of this, but uh, it's not worth anything, and the story wasn't that good. Though I did think that, you know, the fight was kind of cool, but the fact that he was just dead, you know, kind of gimmicky. The story's good. It's a great story. It's just, it's it's sort of like, um, how do I put this? Um... It was meaningless because he was gonna come back. It's not a bad story unto itself. Like it's it's actually a well done. I mean, you know, I mean, there's a lot of great comics writers, and they you know they get told to write a story, and sometimes they write brilliant stories. But I think sort of like why they did it, money. I mean, did it was it a good story though? Yeah, for sure. It's a beautiful. I mean, it's a it's a it's a very moving. That final fight's very moving. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I I liked that whole thing. Uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, but, you know, I do want to transition into something that's relevant even to Cleveland right now and, and that you're working on. And we did talk about, you know, a lot about Superman. But you've had a two-month-long celebration yeah. going on for Superman's 85th birthday, which yeah. I can't believe it's been 85 years. This is huge. Yeah. Who knows what we'll do for the hundredth <laughs> birthday? But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that. You got something coming up at the Rock Hall, but what's happened before, and and what's what what kind of event are we talking about here? What's going on? Yeah. So um, we 
meaning my my sort of my team members and I. So I'm the director and I have a co-director at Cleveland Public Library, Don Boozer. And we sort of a year ago, well, more than a year ago, we sat down and um, we've been doing programming for comic. We've been doing comics programming for years. And so but we were like, we should do something big for Superman. And by big, we thought about like, oh, maybe like, you know, six, seven events around. Um, it became something like 28 events. But we, at first we were like, oh, six, seven different events. <laughs> six, yeah. seven, it became 28 events. Oh, so. yeah. No, it just kept growing. But, um, you know, we were like, let's do a big Superman celebration. And so we already run a monthly book club through the Cleveland Public Library. So we're like, okay, well, let's just do a couple book club events. That'll count for a few. Let's do a couple comics making workshops. We already do that. Let's do a couple of those. Maybe do an extra one or two in the month and call that, you know, and then do maybe a one day sort of event at the library. That'll be big. And so we start to plan it and we start to like talk to partners and, you know, like we, we call up uh, the Cleveland Museum of Art and they're like, we want in, but, um, you know, we, we have this event called Artists in the Atrium that's every third Saturday of the month. And so I'm like, okay, sounds good. Let's try that. I, I talked to Literary Cleveland and they're like, hey, we have this incubator program and that's on the third Saturday of September. So I think, okay, all right, third Saturday of September, third Saturday of October. And then it just keeps growing because all these partners, what's great is like a lot of the partners have established programs already, which is what we wanted. We wanted to sort of like loop in, link into that, right? A lot of stuff was new, um, but we sort of like link in with a lot of the programs and say, okay, like, why don't we partner with you on this? And, you know, we'll give you a special guest. We did that with Cleveland Museum of Art. We did that with um, Inc. the Literary Cleveland. But then what happens is we have sort of these like, so all of a sudden we have this sort of month and a half of programming, but we have sort of these like, or like open weeks. So like we have like two weeks of nothing between events. And we're like, well, now we got to fill that time, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so then we write to another person, we write to the Rock Hall and we say like, hey, uh, you know, do you want to do something? And we initially want to put them somewhere else. We end up working on the October, we end up figuring out we're going to meet on October 28th. Put it, that, that's sort of our capstone, but it sort of just evolves because we're just sort of like talking to all these organizations. Um, I always wanted to work with all these different organizations. That was always the goal. It's just, it was some, at one point I thought, let's do like a week or two of a lot of stuff. But then, as I said, they propose their own things, which is great. That's great working with a partner. They're like, hey, we have this thing. Do you want to be part of it? And I say, sure. So it became two months of events, but West Side Market, Rock Hall, Cleveland Museum of Art, the Temple Tifereth in um, Beechwood. So we have like, you know, the, the Jewish Temple. We have the the public market. We have um, the Rock Hall. And it's almost like who's not involved at this point. You know, it's like yeah. everybody. I love yeah. it. Yeah, the Malt Museum is involved. Yeah, like all these places are involved. I mean, there's, um, yeah, no, you'd have to look at the list and see who's not involved. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. You can speculate as to as to why they may have turned us down <laughs> um but so uh but no no it's been great and like i said um i said to laura siegel at one point when we were talking um that for me and this was always the case it just grew but i said like i always wanted cleveland to be the venue because for me superman uh superman was created in cleveland but also more importantly i think i often see Cleveland as a partner for Jerry and Joe, like Jerry, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster are partners and Cleveland was as much of a partner with them as, as you know, they were for each other. This, this is rooted in Cleveland, created in Cleveland. It couldn't have been, couldn't have been born in this way without Cleveland. Certainly maybe eventually we would have ended up with a superhero, 
but it was so particular to that moment in this city. And so I said to Laura, I wanted to highlight the Cleveland that they knew. So like, you know, Glenville, we do an event in Glenville. I wanted to highlight Cleveland Public Library, which is what they went to all the time. I wanted to highlight things like the West Side Market, which would have been around when they were. when they Almost were like walking in their footsteps to a degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cleveland Museum of Art, again, was there when they were here. All a lot of these places. But then I also said to her, I also wanted to highlight where Cleveland has gone since. So like the Rock Hall, right? Because I mean, clearly the Rock Hall wasn't around when they were there, but I want to yeah. celebrate the Cleveland of the past, but also the Cleveland of the future or over the present at least. And so I said, you know, we wanted to get the Rock Hall involved. So it's a cool thing. And she's going to be at the Rock Hall. Uh, Laura Siegel, Jerry's daughter, will be at the Rock Hall on October 28th. And it's kind of cool because it's sort of a meeting of, you know, that has history and this sort of our future is we're seeing with, you know, with the rock hall, the rock hall's expanding. It's, it's sort of like is one of the uh, you know, one of the great institutions in Cleveland and obviously represents another history, right. Meaning rock and roll. I will say when I talked to the vice president at the rock hall, um, Jason Hanley, I said, you know, I often consider uh, Superman Cleveland's greatest export. And he said, well, <laughs> yeah. And he was like, well, how about rock and roll too? And I'll give, and I'll say yes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I was like, okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Okay. Rock and roll and Superman. But I will say Superman is Cleveland's greatest icon. Um, I do think that there is no, no greater icon that has emerged from Cleveland than Superman. I, it's uh, hard to beat. I yeah. mean, what do you, what, yeah. that's, uh, I, I probably would put the, you know, people recognizing Superman up against any character that's ever been created in the history of the world, you know, yeah, today's, I mean, yeah. most people who don't know anything about comics have never even picked up a comic book, might even be wearing Superman as their underwear right now, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's just it's, the way yeah. it is, I mean, it's, it's huge, or their yeah. bed sheets are Superman, you know, it's like, yeah. come on, who knows, I, I mean, it's just such a huge following um yeah you know i, I did a... want to tap top or ask you this question valentina like how did you come across uh laura siegel larson to begin with how did you meet her yeah so i met her so i mentioned that i've been running programs at cleveland public library since 2013 it's been about 10 years now since we started our first program and laura visited cleveland public library in 2015 and she was visiting and was I'm, it for an event or just she came in she just came in she was doing she wanted to come in see cleveland i think she was in cleveland maybe one i'd have to remember i'd have to ask her why she was there but um i can't remember right now what the story was but the librarians that were that i was working with said like hey laura siegel larson is coming um you know we'd love to have somebody that we're working with on comics programming to be here. So I wasn't even supposed to be there that day. I mean, they told me ahead of time to come, but they're like, you know, um, they're like, you know, we like comics and we like that you're doing these programs, but like, we don't know comics and we need somebody to like, like in case she says something that is like, <laughs> you know, and I was yeah. like, sure, yeah, I'll, I mean, of course, Laura Siegel. Yeah. So I met her and she's just the kindest person. And she is just so grateful for the work that we're doing just to honor her father's legacy. And she's always seen, she, um, I think I can say this with that. I mean, I, this is not, I think I can say this. She has told me that she says when she, she feels like her father 
she can like the the place where she can really feel her father is in Cleveland Public Library because it was so important to him. Um, and that so is she, a really cool thing to hear. That's yeah. awesome. It's where she donated um, his desk. Um, a lot of his a lot of stuff she's donated to the library. Um, and she really thinks highly of of the library and um, as an institution. Like, I mean, it, he was raised by the library, you know, I mean, that he went there every day. Um, I mean, I might be exaggerating, maybe not every day, but he went there so frequently and it was so important to him. And she speaks about how important that library was to him. So she's donated a lot of his stuff there. And um, I think that that's such an important thing. Um, to his history, such an important part of his history, history, history. And she came that year. I then invited her in 2016 to do a program with us. We were doing a Wonder Woman celebration at Cleveland Public Library. It was 75 years of Wonder Woman. Um, we just thought, okay, this would be fun to do. I invited her, even though she's not, you know, connected to Wonder Woman. We thought, you know, why not celebrate Lois Lane? She came back in Gosh, I want to say 2017, 2018. I'm trying, I'm blanking on the year for a um a Lois Lane celebration that we did for when her mom turned a hundred. And well, her mom was deceased, but when her mom would have been a hundred. And um we've just sort of connected um and you know, in that in that way, and like in terms of like a professional relationship, but I think I've always appreciated the fact, and I've told her this that I love the fact that she's available to so many people because it's the closest we're ever going to get to Jerry Siegel. And oh, so, yeah. so I tell her that I was like, you know, um, you know, your father is, is beloved in Cleveland and, you know, I, I, I'm glad that you make yourself available to the Clevelanders. And so, you know, I've just always found her to be a very kind, generous person. Um, you know, she has her own life, but likes to share the stories of her parents because it is the fact that it's the closest so many of us will ever get. And, you know, she's, I don't think she's going anywhere, but, you know, she, I mean, as, as you know, her, she's getting older and I, I really appreciate the fact that she's willing to, um, uh, you know, talk to us um, and tell us about her, her life and her parents' life, what her parents told her. Um, there are stories that otherwise would be forgotten to history. No, it, it's, it was interesting to see that, you know, I, went over the website and I, and I was to, to be honest with you, everyone, there's tons of guests uh, for throughout this event or throughout the last two months. I don't know how much, did you have to reach out to all these people or did you have help or how did, I mean, this is so big. And I know you're saying like, it kind of uh, evolved, you know, like it just kind of, the ball started rolling and I'm sure that helped. Yeah. Um, but you've got, historians talking you've yeah. got people that have been involved with comics talking and i don't know who you want to bring up and who you don't i mean there's just a lot of people but yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i mean there's also a lot of variety you're not getting just one type of of thing you're getting a lot of different types of things i was surprised when i read that i thought that was really cool how did that, how did that kind of come about yeah so our goal so i mean i yeah i mean i I sort of say like as if it sort of just like happened, but yeah, I mean, we had certain goals. One was that, I mean, I can say that we had certain goals. One was that we never, we wanted to have as many as we could sort of ways to engage, whether that be trivia or whether it be the film screening at the Cinematheque, whether it sort of be the artist in the atrium at the Cleveland Museum of Art, sort of like the creative aspect, comics making, um, screen printing, all that kind of stuff. We wanted it to be, that like you're noting, and a lot of people note this, that 
not everybody gets into it through comics. And so we didn't want it to just be comics. Um, that being said, um, the comics is the thing I'm interested in. So, <laughs> yeah. so that's still going to be central to it, right? So we wanted it to be, so one, we wanted lots of different ways to engage. That was always the goal is not to have that much repetition that, you know, if we're bringing in creators, like we want everyone to have a chance to sign books because people want their books signed. So that was always like, when we bring in a creator, that's always the goal. But then, you know, one creator did a trivia thing. One creator did, um, did he was he did some some create a creative work at the museum one person's gonna do um you know the the interview at the rock hall so like always something different never did like not like you know 14 events at cleveland public library same thing every week over and over again we wanted to be different yeah. that was one goal two was that we wanted people that represented when we brought in the people we wanted people that represented different areas of of comics so like we brought in Mark Wade, who's fantastic, and he is sort of a veteran of the comics industry. He's known for works like Kingdom Come, which is a very popular comic. Um, he's known for a lot of really popular works, and so he's sort of a veteran. Philip Kennedy Johnson, who I who I just adore, he's the sweetest man. Um, he he was sort of our like he's writing the flagship book. He's writing action comics. So we wanted like the sort of veteran. We wanted somebody who's doing the current stuff right now. Um, Cena Grace is, you know, he's Persian and he's gay and he sort of represents an, like an under, um, underrepresented part of the comics community, sort of that queer nerd that sort of just doesn't get, it gets ignored. And then along with Sarah Kuhn, who sort of is another part of this underrepresented community, she's doing a Lois Lane book. I mean, there aren't, there still are not a lot of women creators writing women characters, right? A lot of men still write them. So, yeah. and then Laura was one. And then there's other guests too, but like, you can see, like, we didn't want to say like, okay, let's get all of the, all of the comics veterans who are all white men in their sixties and just like mm -hmm. do that. Um, you know, we wanted people to feel represented. We wanted people to, like, these are all big name people. They're not, it's not like any of them are like, you know, unknowns. These are all major people. Like Cena just put out a book on Superman on October 3rd. Sarah just put out a book on Lois Lane. Like they're, you know, they're DC books. And so these are all big creators that are coming. And so, but we wanted them to all represent different parts. Like nobody, everybody spoke to a different audience, which was really important to us too. Like different ways to engage different audiences, all sort of coming together to show that Superman isn't one thing. And that was sort of the goal. So I sort of say like, oh yeah, just sort of like, went off but it, it, we always had these parameters of what we wanted to do as we were sort of yeah yeah, yeah. And, and you know I, I like how you hit on that that too how have you felt the response has been what you've seen so far um and you know what have you learned about it and and do you think you would have done certain things differently or or how has it been Oh gosh. Um, what I do things differently if I had more money. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that like the answer to every question? Like if somebody asked me, so Brian, how would you do that? Well, if I had more money, I'll tell you exactly how to do it. Yeah. 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 No, like somebody, somebody, like somebody said like, Oh, you know, maybe next time you could do this. Like, and I was like, yeah, you know, if I had a $500,000 grant, yeah, I'd bring in, you know, I'd bring in, you know, um, one of the actors or something like that. Right. We I got know. a, we got like a, you know, we got $15,000 from the Ohio Humanities um, and it was great, but that was what we were working with. And so we had to work within the parameters that we were given, meaning that I only had so much money and I had to rely on partners for, you know, covering certain things, which is fine. Um, but I mean, I, 
when I look at it and have it, having experienced it now for eight weeks, because we're in week eight of this, yeah. I, I will say that like, and I'm hypercritical usually, as you can hear, like I was, you know, I'd say I, I, I can be as one, as, as one of the comic creators said um, to me last week, he was like, He's like, I like you. You can be salty. Um, you know, I can, I can, I will say, despite all of that, I, I think it's gone very well. I'm, like I said, I think the only difference would be that if I had more money, I would have done things differently. But with $15,000, um, we really stretched that pretty far, I think. Uh, so I'm pretty happy with it. Within Considering the, the limits we had, I think we got things, we did things pretty well. No, I, I agree with you. You know, it is... And hitting on another point that you had brought up when you talk about different creators and the different people you brought up, you know, I've had a lot of variety of different types of people on here, a lot of different types of artists. But I, I think uh, one, one person said to me, you know, representation matters, you know, it, and I get that it does, you know, representation matters. So if you like seeing somebody that's like, that's like you, that's up there, um, you, you can relate to them easier. Yeah. So I, I totally get it. I mean, uh, so when you have a diverse group of people come in there, they're all touched uh, by Superman in some sort of way. You know, they, they've seen the movies or whatever. But there's also these little spinoffs that are going on, like you're talking about the Lois Lane comic. Yeah. Uh, people writing for that, uh, trying to work on these characters. Um, so, yeah, there, there's all kinds of things that are interesting about that and, and things that are going on now that, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are discovering things about Superman that they didn't even know or that existed uh, or that exists now that they that didn't exist before. So it's pretty interesting. Like, I'm just learning about the Lois Lane comic right now. I didn't know there was. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah Kuhn. We're giving out two, uh, 250 free copies of the book at um, of the comic book, not of like a graphic novel, but of the comic book at the Rock Hall. Um, we, I ordered a bunch of them. I ordered 250. Well, Carol and John's comics ordered them again, like we relied on partners, right? So part like Carol and John's comics said, you know, we'll get you 250 copies of the comic book and you can give them out. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, it's a, it's a great book. Um, Sarah's super cool, super interesting, but she is, I don't want to say the first woman to write Lois Lane because I am sure that I'm I I'm free, I, there's some example that I'm too tired to remember right now, but she's yeah. certainly one of the few women that have written Lois Lane, which is so that's just a that that's just a reality of the comic book industry at this point that you know you have gosh a handful of women that have written Lois Lane, but my gosh the list is endless of the men that have written Lois Lane, right? Which is fine. I mean, men can write Lois Lane too, but it's not it's not equal right i mean it's just like you've got like I can, you can count on one hand like how many women have written wonder woman you can't count on you need you know you need an yeah. army of people to count on your hands how many men have written wonder woman all fine like i'm not saying the men can't do it but um it's just the case it's different it's different perspective it. yeah. it's yeah, yeah. It's gonna be yeah. A totally different take so i wanted so that's why i was like you know uh Sarah's writing Lois Lane. She's a, she she wants to come and she represents a part of the community that really I think you know we want to be part of this um, celebration. And so I was like, you know, and she's also Japanese American, which is also you know another sort of intersection that um, is really cool for us. So I think it was really nice. Uh, she's a great example of someone that like yeah, you're learning. There's a Lois Lane book. I think 
there's a lot that people don't know about her. Do they don't realize and Lois Lane, um, she has a great story. It's great to see it revitalized in a new, with a new writer. Um, she writes Lois Lane great. Philip Kennedy Johnson, who came, he writes Lois Lane in action comics. He writes a great Lois Lane. Um, so it's nice to see these different writers sort of take on these characters, uh, different perspectives. Um, really yeah. Awesome. yeah. It adds and, 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 and adds new things to characters, which I think is really cool. Absolutely. Uh, which is also why you have people follow certain writers because they just fall in yeah. love with their style and what they bring to a character. Absolutely. Um, so, Valentino, what would you before we roll into the close here? Is there anything you'd like to tell us about what what's going on uh, at the Rock Hall this weekend, or what what we might be able to expect even in the future beyond uh, the Rock Hall? Yeah. I mean, I know yeah. you said you you've been thinking about doing something with jazz, so you can totally bring it up if that's what. Yeah. But if there's no dates, there's no dates. But anything you want to tell us before we kind of roll? There's into no it. dates for the jazz yet, but I'll talk about that in a second. I know I've hinted at a few times, so. Um, so Rock Hall, so Sarah Kuhn, who I've mentioned, the Lois Lane, but it's why it's, I'm talking about her because she's on my mind because, so I'm going to be doing with my dissertation advisor, um, Vera Camden, the two of us will be interviewing Sarah on stage at the Rock Hall on the 28th. Following our interview, um, Samantha Baskin will interview Laura Siegel Larson. So we've, we're calling it sort of a Lois Lane weekend because uh, we're giving out the Lois Lane books. Sarah and Laura are going to be here and Sarah's writing Lois Lane. Laura, as Jerry famously said, is she sort of became Lois Lane. She became a journalist and very successful journalist at that. And so um, the two of them will be speaking at the Rock Hall, which will be a lot of fun. We will eventually, and this will take a little bit of time, but we will eventually print all of the interviews. Um, you know, we'll, we'll type them up, we'll clean them up, and then we'll print all the interviews. Um, and so those will be available online, but that takes like, I mean, that's going to take some time. We don't have the, you know, we don't have the infrastructure. We're not a magazine production yeah, company. Yeah. So it's going to take time, but um, those will be event available about, I I would say, you know, a year from now, we'll have time to have reviewed all of them, cleaned them up, um, gotten, you know, gotten the edits from the interviewer, interviewees. And so we're doing that, but yeah, so that's this weekend and that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited about that. And yeah, down the line, um, so the, te the the tentative date, because we don't really have a date, but the tentative timeline is 2025 right now, just because of people's schedules. Um, but I would love to do something on comics and jazz. So I'll give you a just sort of, just sort of a, not an outline because I don't have that yet, but um, just sort of a little bit about it. Um, there are a lot of comics creators who also overlap with jazz. So I mentioned Philip Kennedy Johnson. He's a jazz musician. He's a he's also a he's in the Army field band. He's a sergeant major in the Army. And he also plays trumpet in the Army. And so but he's also a trained jazz musician. He does jazz and comics and thinks about jazz and comics. Um, Dave Chisholm is a great cartoonist who um, was hired by the Miles Davis estate and hired by the Charlie Parker estate before that to do books on Charlie Parker and Miles Davis. And um, the Miles Davis book, which comes out on November 7th, but I've, I've gone to read it and talk to Dave about it, um, is brilliant. I mean, the Charlie Parker book is like beautiful, but the these are graphic novel, Charlie Parker, yeah. Miles Davis yeah, yeah, yeah. book. Oh, yeah. They're beautiful graphic novels. Yeah, they're by, they're published by Z2 Comics, so like letter Z2 Comics. Um, 
stunning book. So the Miles Davis one comes out on November 7th and it's mind blowing good. It's like so, so good. Um, and the Charlie Parker one's beautiful too, but they're great. And I will say the Cleveland connection, because there always has to be a Cleveland connection, is most people will remember that Harvey Picar for many years was a jazz critic. He wrote a lot about jazz. And so hmm. that's where it's sort of that's where the sort of the kernel started for me was that connection to Cleveland. And then I sort of were like, hmm, well, Dave Chisholm is a jazz jazz musician and a cartoonist. Philip Kennedy Johnson is a comics creator and a jazz musician. I wonder if there's something and Harvey Picard. And then, you know, if you, as you go in, and I'm going to, then I'll stop there because I I have to do some more work. That's why I said. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. But um, there's a, there's an interesting overlap. I wouldn't say it happens. I wouldn't say it is all the time, but there's enough of an overlap between the two that it was interesting enough that I was like, hmm, maybe we should do something on this. And so the plan right now is to think about comics and jazz and situating it, like I said, in sort of that that history, that the reality is that, you know, Harvey Picar, he's a Clevelander. He similarly saw a connection between the two. And so it's something to pursue. So I think that's hopefully, hopefully crossing my fingers will be the next big project. Um, it will not be two months. <laughs> I am. I don't, I don't want, no matter who wants to be involved, it will not be two months. But hey, um, Maybe maybe a week, maybe two weeks. Uh, I'm fine with that, but no more two months. Uh, not for a while. I need to rest. Um, and by rest, I mean like five years down the line, I'll do a two month thing. Uh, you know, I I have a full time job as a professor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you um, know who might get involved with that one is the Bop Stop. Maybe the Bop Stop would get involved in that one. They'd love to have jazz musicians there. You could like yeah. integrate music with like. Uh, like some of the comics there or something. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, no, absolutely. So like I live in Cleveland Heights, so I thought about like grog shop, bop stop, places like that. Yeah. So I definitely like um def so so it's um it's definitely in the works. By in the works I mean it in my mind. No nobody has signed on to this yet. I just like yeah, I, yeah. um first I've got to finish this. My my friends tell me they're just like, um can you uh can you finish this project before you even start planning the next one? <laughs> so so that is a preview of something that is entirely in my mind. I right think now. that's how good minds work, though, Valentino. You're <laughs> like you're involved in a project right now, but don't think for two seconds like a good mind's not like, yeah, let me think about these next three projects. I kind of want, yeah, 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 yeah. And like your mind yeah. is in eighty different places. You're like, all right, yeah, I already got this problem solved. Let's create some new ones for myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. I think I think that's right. I can't I I, I can't stop in my uh. My my boyfriend laughs at me all the time because he's like he's like I like so we joke about sort of like moving to Italy. I mentioned you know my my dad's from Italy. We joke about moving to Italy and sort of just like you know working remotely and sort of and he's like you can't do that. He's like you cannot give this up. He's like if you if you go live remotely in Italy, he's like you won't be able to do any of this. And he's like I just have to accept the fact that you are going to do this forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that's okay though. I mean, I think that's what some of us are destined to do. You know, it's just like, that's what it is. And yeah. we kind of like it in the, while we're doing it, it's, it's, you know, the trials and tribulations are there and you're just kind of pulling your hair out. But then when you look back at the final product and the people you met and everything you learned along the way, it's just like, it's all worth it. You know, it's like, it's so cool. Um, oh, I mean, I have, I, I, I haven't slept properly in, in over a month, but I will say, I'm I'm having I often like come home and I was like 
I'm having too much fun. I don't think I should be having this much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. I think that what you're doing, though, uh, you know, all this stuff aside, I, I'm thrilled about it. I think it's really cool. I'm so glad somebody put it together. You know, you always hear, hey, somebody somebody should put this together. Well, why not you? You know, why not yeah. me do it? You know, and yeah. you did it. And that's yeah. awesome. And it yeah. was not easy. I can tell. And it seems like it uh, was an awesome time so far. And I can't wait to hear about what happens this upcoming weekend. But, um, yeah. you know, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on. I, I learned so much. I can't even normally I do a little segment of like what I learned, but I just learned too much. Like, I can't say like the one big thing I learned today because it was like a lot. Good, um, good, good. I, I, I did, I, you know, I'm, I like Superman, but, you know. I never have taken the time to really study all the intricacies of Superman, you know, so yeah. to like hear about all these things and the ties to Cleveland. Some of it I picked up on my, in my research, but I was like, man, this is so cool. It's so cool that that stuff just happened right now. I can't take that for granted. It happened. Like I can drive 15 minutes and be in a place that, you know, the birth of Superman really occurred. Yeah. No, no I, I think you're right. I appreciate that. I mean, that if that's your takeaway, I think that is your takeaway. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, I think it's right. I mean, if that's if that is the takeaway, I think I've done my job. I mean, in the end, I haven't said this so emphatically yet in this today, but my goal in the end was to bring attention to Superman. I mean, I want in, in our city because I don't think we give enough credit. Or there's no there's no museum. There's no um there's no statue like the Siegel house is privately owned. I mean, it's nice mm -hmm. that it's been saved, but the city didn't save it. Um, you know, it's it. The fact is, like, we have not yet really reckoned with the fact that, yes, you can drive 15 minutes. You can drive across our city as this program shows you. And these are the places that made Superman, the Museum of Art, the West. Mm -hmm. I'm, I mean, you know, the, the Cleveland Public Library, really, I'm sort of some of them I sort of, you know, I'm sort of imagining that it influenced them right i don't know what the role of the museum of art was but it would have been around um but we know the cleveland public library influenced them we know glenville high school influenced them we know that this city influenced them you can go anywhere in the city and something was important to siegel and schuster and i don't think that we give the city enough credit for that i mean at least let's make money off of it as a tourist <laughs> at the very least you know like, let's at least make money off of it my god like not not meaning individually me but the city I, my gosh you know, I, i'm convinced it. and this is a topic for a different time that the city of cleveland it does want does not want to make money off of all the oh my gosh i know and 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 the shoreline they won't they just they're like hey who cares about that lake shoreline who cares about that don't develop oh. that let's just let's That's just enough. Let's have abandoned warehouse buildings over there yeah, we'll yeah, just yeah. see how that fares for a while uh, yeah no that's the next podcast we're going to talk about how, how the city doesn't <laughs> make money yeah <laughs> well hey i do want you to keep in touch with me though because uh I would love to hear about this uh, jazz integration with graphic novels yes. as it develops, you know, when you're, when the time comes and you're ready. Uh, and I'd love to come out to it too, because I think yeah. that's going to be really cool. Um, but uh, with that being said, I am going to uh, transition into the end, uh, the closure here, everybody out there listening. Thanks for, for tuning in uh, to another episode. Hopefully, uh, you know, you, you can feel, 
confident in putting your Superman underwear on tonight before you go to sleep and, uh, <laughs> and know that, you know, it's part of our Cleveland history and you can be proud to do so. But while you're doing that, uh, one leg at a time, take the time to uh, leave us a review on any of the podcast formats that you're listening. Uh, we love to get reviews. And actually, I love to hear from you, too. So hit me up on the Instagram. It's really easy to find, Cleveland Schwill. Or email me, clevelandutchwill at gmail.com. And tell me uh, what you think. Or if you have a guest in mind or something's going on, we'd love to hear from you. I appreciate it. Uh, Valentino, thank you again for coming in, man. It was awesome. Uh, learned a ton. And I can't wait to hear the great things that are going to be happening to you in the future. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. And everybody else out there, next time you're having a drink, do me a favor and at least have one of those drinks in the name of Cleveland Schwill, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.